0: Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Okay, the title for today is What's Haunting You? Mark 6, 14 to 20 we'll be looking at. Have you ever been haunted by something? Something you've done or something that's happened to you? I think we all have been haunted or are being haunted, and I believe a lot of self-destructive behaviors and attempt to dull the pain of that haunting. We try to forget, we try to soothe, we use drinking or drugs or cigarettes or food or sex or porn, you can add to that list. We use all kinds of unhealthy things to try to deal with the haunting pain that we have. And we're going to see someone today that was haunted, but he didn't have to be, and either do we. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that each person here today, each person hearing this today, would be able to be free from haunting, free from pain, free from guilt, free from sin's effects and power and accusation. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now we've been looking at Jesus Christ's power and we saw last time in Mark chapter 6 verses 12 and 13 how Jesus shared his power with the 12 apostles and how because of that power they preached with power and they cast out demons and healed the the sick. Then all the way down to verse 30 they come back and report on what happened with their ministry. But in between verse 13 and verse 30 Mark inserts a sandwich. The story of John the Baptist, what happened to John the Baptist later in his ministry. We're going to call this a John witch. He brings in John's story to show that Jesus Christ's power shakes up King Herod. And it's also a warning to us, to the disciples and to us, what will happen if we share the power of Jesus Christ, if we live out the power of Jesus Christ. Let's read the entire passage, 14 to 29, although we'll only get through verse 20 today. Don't miss next week. There's a wild second part to this. But let's read it first of all. It says in verse 14, Mark chapter 6, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah. And still others claim he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him. "'knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. "'When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, "'yet he liked to listen to him. "'Finally the opportune time came. "'On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet "'for his high officials and military commanders "'and the leading men of Galilee. "'When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, "'she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. "'The king said to the girl, "'Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. "'And he promised her with an oath.' "'Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom.' "'She went out and said to her mother, "'What shall I ask for?' "'The head of John the Baptist,' she answered. "'At once the girl hurried into the king with a request. "'I want you to give me right now "'the head of John the Baptist on a platter.' "'The king was greatly distressed, "'but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, "'he did not want to refuse her, "'so he immediately sent an executioner "'with orders to bring John's head. "'The man went, beheaded John in the prison, "'and brought back his head on a platter.' He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And that's the John witch. Let's start with verses 14 to 16. I'll read those again. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said... John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Now, King Herod is called a king, but he's not really a king, he's just a tetrarch. He only ruled one-fourth of a kingdom. His father, Herod the Great, had a a huge kingdom, and when he died, he divided among his four sons. But Herod Antipas, although he only got one-fourth of that kingdom, he still insisted on being called a king, even though he wasn't really a king. And that became popular usage even in Rome, although uh, he's not really a king. Just think of Elvis. In fact, Herod Antipas was so driven, that was his full name, Herod Antipas was so driven to be a real king that he crossed the line. He was exiled by Rome in 39 AD because of, they saw him as a threat. He was so power hungry. And remember, Mark is writing to the Gentile Christians in Rome, probably. They're all well aware of these events. Herod's family were a bunch of celebrities in the Romans' world. The Herod family—they were they, everybody knew all about them. They were in the tabloids every week, and they all knew very well about Herod Antipas and his fall. Think of Elvis's crash, and everybody knew all about that all over the world. Now, Jesus did most of his miracles in Galilee. Why? because of the secret messiah. He was the Lone Ranger messiah. He had the mask on still. He didn't want the religious authorities in Jerusalem to know who he was yet or to know who he who he was claiming to be because that's who he was. Because as soon as the claim came out and they found out who he was claiming to be because that's who he really was, as soon as they found that out, he knew that the clock would start ticking toward his crucifixion. And he was waiting for God's perfect time. So he did most of his miracles in Galilee, because that was outside the reach of the religious authorities in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And that's why Herod Antipas knew about him, though, because that's his territory. He was the ruler of Galilee and Perea. But what he heard about Jesus convicted him, not because of what Jesus had said, but because of what Herod had done. He had a guilty conscience. He had murdered John. And because of that, it made him paranoid. The guy had paranoia. He was haunted by what he had done. Think of Poe's The Tell-Tale Heart. Remember when he's when the uh, he's kept hearing the heart beating through the floor and finally he loses his mind and goes mad. And that's really a picture of Herod. Herod was very superstitious, so he believed every rumor. He had this guilty conscience, this paranoia, and he was very superstitious. You put the paranoia together with the superstition, he believed every rumor. Every time he heard someone say, John's still alive, he believed it. Once again, think of Elvis. How many people used to believe it? Elvis is alive and some people still believe he's alive? There's still Elvis sightings. Uh, some of you here might still believe that. Sorry, he's not. Anyway, the uh, then we get to verses 17 and 18 where he saw we see, For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to. Because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So we see in verses seventeen and eighteen that Herod had arrested John. We tell that Herod had arrested John because John had confronted his sin. The sin was that he had married his brother's wife. John said that's not lawful. That's not lawful, and he gets that from the law in Leviticus 18.16, where he says, Do not have sexual relations with your brother's wife that would dishonor your brother. Do not have sexual relations with your brother's wife that would dishonor your brother. Talking about if the brother is still alive, you can't have relations with your brother's wife. And Herod, although he's an Edomite, passed himself off as being religious. He said he followed the Jewish law and passed himself off as being a pious follower of the Jewish law. Can you imagine a politician doing this? Claiming to be religious or claiming to be Christian while their life was totally against Christianity or their voting record was totally anti-Christian? Boy, I'm sure glad things are different now today in the USA today. This is what John was preaching at. Now try to follow along here. This is a soap opera. You've all heard of Days of Our Lives. Well, this is Days of Our Wives. And a lot of this comes from Josephus, the Jewish historian who defected to the Romans and but wrote wrote a lot of the history of Palestine at this time. Really interesting reading. If you really want to understand Herod, the Herod family, you have to read Josephus. But Herodias, I'll so just give you a quick rundown here. Herodias was the great was the granddaughter not not great the granddaughter of Herod the Great. She was Herod the Great's granddaughter. She married one of Herod the Great's sons. He had four sons. She married Herod Philip, which was her uncle. So she married her uncle, Herod Philip. There was another uncle called Philip, just Philip, or only Philip. Uh, Why did he name two sons Philip? I don't know. Think of George Foreman and all of his sons named George. We don't know why, but he liked the name Philip. And so he had Herod Philip, and that's the Philip that Herodias married her uncle Philip. We'll come back to the other Philip later on. Uncle Herod Philip, who Herodias married, lived in Rome and ruled the Northern Territory. Herod Antipas came to visit his brother in Rome. It was really his half-brother because Herod the Great had many different um, wives uh, and sons through the different wives. And so he killed some of his other wives. Herod Antipas comes to visit his brother in Rome. It was a dumb move to invite him because he's known as a playboy. I don't know what Herod Philip was thinking because he's known as a playboy. And the the inevitable happens. He has an affair with Herodias. Herod Antipas has an affair with Herodias. She then leaves her husband Herod Philip to go marry Herod Antipas, her other uncle. So she leaves one uncle to marry a different uncle. Now Herod Antipas was already married. He was married to a princess when he dumped the princess, it really ticked off her dad, who was a real king. And the real king dad got revenge by declaring war on him and inflicting an embarrassing defeat on Herod Antipas. And if you think this can't get any more complicated or weird, Herodias had a daughter named Salome, who she brought into her marriage with Herod Antipas. And after this young daughter, teenage daughter, does this sick sexual dance and gets John beheaded, she then marries the other brother, Philip, just Philip, or only Philip, her great-uncle, grand-uncle, whatever the usage is now, but her great-uncle, she married him. That's what John was confronting. The adultery, the divorce, living with the brother's wife while the brother is still alive, all clearly against God's word, against God's law, which Herod claimed to follow. Can you imagine someone doing this? living a sexual life completely against what the Bible teaches, then getting mad if you point this out? I'm sure glad things are different in the USA today. (laughs) Wait till next week. In fact, verse 19 gives us a clue here where it says, So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to. Why? Because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man, When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So Herod tries to protect him. Why? He knew John was right. He didn't want to kill him, he just wanted to shut him up. And he wanted to shut up Herodias too, who was nagging him about getting getting rid of this John guy. But he was also puzzled by John. The word means to be perplexed. And the language indicates that John had painted him into a corner. He couldn't figure out how to keep his wife, and to keep his wife happy, and to still do the right thing. He wanted to do the right thing, but he couldn't figure out how to do the right thing and still keep his wife and to keep her happy. So he did nothing until he was forced into another tight corner. Then he did the wrong thing. He killed John. But the crazy thing is here is that he liked to listen to John. He liked to hear John talk about spiritual matters. He was interested. We are all created with a spiritual nature. We have a hole in our heart that only God can fill, even Herod. Everybody has it. We just try to fill it with the wrong things. And we turn to to counterfeits to fill it. But the tragedy here was that he was interested. He had this hole in his heart. He liked to listen to what John was saying about spiritual matters. But he didn't want to give up his sin. He didn't want to give up Herodias. He didn't want to surrender his life, even though it really was for the best. What God was going to give him would be far better than what he had. But he didn't want to surrender his life. He didn't want to give up his Herodias. And Jesus saw right through Herod. Jesus saw right through him. In fact, when Jesus finally comes face to face with King Herod later on, in Luke 23, 1-2, and then 6-11, through listen to what it says here. Jesus saw right through him. Luke 23, right before he was going to be crucified, then the whole assembly rose up and led him off the Pilate, And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. His, he opposes payments of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ a king. Verse 6, On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there venomously accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. Jesus wouldn't do his magic tricks for Herod. He wouldn't preach or teach him anything. He knew what was in Herod's heart. Which was exposed by how he responded, how he treated Jesus. He put him in the king's robe and, and mocked him because Herod had this king complex, you know, because he was only a tetrarch. And, but he, but he, he, what he did to Jesus was his own struggle, wanting to be a king. Many people are like Herod today. They have spiritual interest, like Herod. They watch TV preachers or visit church occasionally or read, read a religious book. The religious even, more superstitious, they wear a cross, they make the sign of the cross before they shoot their free throws or kick their field goal, but they don't want to live it. They have no relationship with God as their father. So many are so close, it's heartbreaking to see they're six inches away from salvation, six inches away from life now and life forever with God, the distance from their head to their heart six inches. It's heartbreaking. Herod had John right in front of him. Herod had Jesus right in front of him. But he didn't want to surrender his life. He didn't want to repent of his sin. He didn't want to give up his Herodias. And he ended up his life haunted. Haunted by his sin, by the murder of John. Heartbreaking. Even if you read the ending of Herod Antipas in history, heartbreaking to see what happened because he had Jesus right in front of him. He had mercy and grace no matter what he had done to John. He still could have had God's mercy and grace through his son, Jesus Christ. Think of the thief on the cross who was probably also a murderer and, and worthy of execution. And look what he did. The one thief turned to Jesus and ended up in paradise that day with Jesus. Herod could have that same mercy and grace, but he held on to his sin, even though it destroyed him. He held on tight to that sin. It reminds me of the story of Where the Red Fern Grows, one of my favorite books. It has the movie, too. But in the book, it tells the story of how this young boy wanted dogs so badly, but he had to catch some raccoons and sell their, their furs before he could afford the puppies that he wanted to get. And his grandpa taught him a trick on how to catch raccoons without dogs before he got the dogs. He said, take a log and drill a little hole and, you know, make a little hole in the ho- log and then drive nails downward into the hole. So they're pointed downward and put a little piece of tinfoil down in that hole. And what would happen with these these raccoons is they could reach, they would be, they were attracted by this shiny tinfoil in the sun and they would reach their hand in for this little treasure. And, and when they got a hold of it, they would form a fist then they try to pull it out. But they couldn't. They could have let go of the tinfoil and pulled their hand out. But they refused to let go of that tinfoil. And the boy would come up and there would be the raccoon hanging onto the piece of tinfoil. And and it would start to hiss and be upset and you know angry. But it wouldn't let go. All it had to do was let go of the tinfoil and it could have run away. But it it would stay there while the boy clubbed it with a shovel or hit it with an axe. Well, it was beaten to death. Because it wouldn't let go of this worthless little piece of tinfoil. And that is a picture of what sin is in our life. And we won't let go of it. We hang on to it. Even though it's destroying us. Even though it's killing us. Even though it's haunting us. We hang on to this worthless piece of of garbage, really. Herod did it, and we do the same thing. Maybe you're doing it today. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. What's keeping you from Jesus Christ? What's keeping you from forgiveness? From real life now and forever? What's keeping you from God's ultimate best for your life? What we need—what do we need to repent of this morning? What do you need to surrender? Maybe something's haunting you. Something you think is so bad, I can't come to Jesus. Like Herod, you're haunted. I can't come to Jesus. Because there's no way God could forgive this. I often think of, of abortion as, in this way because so many women and men come to me and say, women will come and say, I, 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 God could never forgive me. I, I, I killed my baby. Or a boy will say, a young, a young man will say, I, I dropped my f- girlfriend off at the abortion. Like I forced her to, to kill our baby. And, and, and God could never forgive me. And there's other things. That's just one that's real clear. And And I always tell people, listen, it doesn't matter what you've done. Go to the cross. You need to go to the cross. Go to Jesus Christ. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. He will forgive anything. Maybe here you are a Christian, but you're still haunted by something. Something's still bothering you that you've already taken to the cross. You don't need to go to the cross again. You've already done that. You need to go to the throne. We need to go to the throne. Hebrews 4, 14-16 talks about this going to the throne. In Hebrews 4, 14 it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of God grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Verse 16 again, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace To help us in our time of need. We need to go to the throne where God is sitting and we go to that throne through his son Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us, who paid for our sin in our place and we go and we ask for God's mercy and grace. Mercy is the forgiveness and grace is the help not to do it again, to live the life that God wants us to live, that strength to live that, God's mercy and grace and that's something we should constantly do. It will all day long, constantly asking for God's mercy and grace for every struggle, for every temptation, for every discouragement. Whatever we're going through, for whatever we're, whatever battle we're fighting, for whatever we're trying to do, our job, or our raising our kids, or teaching, or school, or whatever. Asking for God's mercy and grace. We need to first go to the cross and put our faith in Jesus, and then after that we go to the throne on a daily basis, an hourly basis, a minute-by-minute basis, asking for that mercy and grace. Now, if you've done that, sometimes we go to the cross, we we receive Christ, we put our faith in Jesus, we get our forgiveness, and... Then we go to the throne and keep asking for mercy and grace, but it still hangs on it still haunts us. Satan, the, acu- the great accuser, keeps working us over, or we have an overactive conscience. Whatever the reason is, it, it, sometimes it's still bothering us, or, or a temptation is so strong that we can't, we just keep struggling, we can't beat it, we still struggle with it. If that happens, then we need to go to another Christian brother or sister. We need to go to another Christian brother or sister. James says, confess your sins one to another. You that Somehow that breaks the power of, of sin. That breaks the power of a secret sin. Somehow as when we confess something to someone. You don't always have to. You go to the cross, it's done. Super. You go to the throne, it's done. Super. But sometimes it's still haunting, still bothering us, still holds us in bondage, and that's when we need to go to another Christian brother or sister. And in and, and it, for instance, we talked about abortion earlier. Many there are many women in our church who have said to me, Chuck, if any person comes to you and says they had an abortion or they're tempted to have one, have them come talk to me. I'll I'll talk to them. But if they've had one already and they're struggling with the pain of that. Send them to me. I, I went through that pain of that. I worked through that pain. I found my forgiveness and my healing. And I want to help other girls, women, do the same thing. There are many women. All you have to do is say, find me someone and I'll find it for you. Talk, ask him. She'll do the same thing. Uh, for the men, it's, sexual struggles are often very shameful. We don't want to talk about our sexual struggles or, or what we've done or what we're doing. Listen, we've got a men of purity group that deals with everything from A to Z. Very confidential. They will not be shocked. Even if there's something so terrible you've never told anybody, but it's still haunting you or something you've done, you just want to know how to pray and, 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 and get free of this and, and maybe do the right thing somehow, talk to either Mel and or Ed, and, uh, and they will help you work through this. Talk to them. They will, be, they, you, they will not be shocked by anything. And if you need help with anything else, talk to me. Talk to Kim. Find another Christian brother or sister here at church that that you know you, you can trust. Talk to them and they'll help you walk through this healing process. There, we have some great books we use, uh, Victory Over Darkness and The Bondage Breaker and, and different ones like that. We have several really, really good books. Or I'll re- just say, hey, I need to talk to a Christian counselor. I'll help you find a good Christian counselor that you can talk to. But it's, I just want to encourage everybody to go to the cross, go to the throne, go to another Christian brother and sister. Find your freedom in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, Maybe here today, as a Christian, and you're still haunted, still bothering, something's really got you, I want to encourage you to go to the throne. Go right now. Say, God, I need your mercy and grace. I need it right now, and I'm going to need it every day. I need your mercy and grace for this area of my life. Start asking and claiming that mercy and grace. Maybe here today you can't go to the throne yet because you've never gone to the cross. The first step is putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Coming to that cross. Right where you're sitting, you can come to the cross. And say, God, I ask you to forgive me. I repent of everything I've ever done wrong, everything that goes against your word, goes against your perfect plan for my life. I repent of that. I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in your son Jesus, who died on the cross in my place. He took my punishment. I put my faith in him. And I'm going to follow Jesus. I give you my life. I give my life to you. I'm going to follow Jesus. Forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus. I'm going to follow you now. If you've prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to go to someone. Let them know you've prayed that. Let me know. Tell somebody, someone that you someone yell or contact me, let me know. I'll be Tell someone that you put your faith in Jesus Christ so they can be excited for you, so we can encourage you in your new faith. Or if you've already put your faith in Jesus, but you're still struggling with something, it won't break. You've been to the cross, you've been to the throne. I want to encourage you to commit to telling somebody. Share the struggle with someone so that you can work together for your freedom. Say, God, right now I'm going to I vow, I promise to talk to someone. Show me who I can trust, who you're leading me to, to help me find my freedom in Christ. Father, we pray that every person listening to this right now, hearing your words from your word, would find their freedom in Christ, freedom at the cross, freedom at the throne, freedom by finding encouragement from other people, Christian brothers and sisters who have already battled through many of these same things. Lord, I pray that everyone can find their freedom in Christ. I pray that in Jesus' name, and through your mercy and grace, amen.